How many of you love Jesus? Say amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We want to say welcome to all of our folks that are watching on our various social media platforms. Thank you for taking the time to log in to our live service here at Victory today. We're excited. This is Pentecost Sunday. We're doing a standalone message this morning that particularly speaks to this issue of the day of Pentecost, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Just want to tell you how excited I am to see you. Thank you for being here with us today. It's wonderful to see all the smiling faces. Um, Pastor Jeremy and Heather have been doing a little bit of vacationing at the beach this week, and we'll be back this, uh, actually I think they're coming back today, and we'll be back this next week. He will be speaking next Sunday morning for one service. Uh, everybody say one service. So one service at 10 a.m. We're excited about that. We're going to be honoring our fallen heroes and actually doing a real memorial weekend service. Sometimes we don't always stop for the various uh, holidays that are happening because we might be in the middle of a series or something like that. But the way things happen to fall this time on our calendar and our preaching and planning, um, this is what we're going to do next Sunday for one service at 10 a.m. And then the following week, we'll start a new series. It'll be our summer series in June and July called The Stuff We're Made Of. And that will be a shared series between myself and Pastor Haley, Pastor Jeremy. So we're excited to talk to you about some of the characteristics of the people of God throughout the ages. We'll talk about a character from the Bible. We'll talk about someone in history. Talk about someone in the present who has impacted each of our lives as we share testimonies about some big Bible ideas, the stuff that we're made of, because this is part of our family DNA. Speaking of DNA, that's what we're doing this morning. This is a DNA moment this Sunday. We do that periodically because we want to remind you of our particular church culture. All churches are not the same. We are not specifying this in the sense of feeling like we're any better. We're just different, okay? If everybody was identical, then it would sort of be redundant to have multiple ones in the, in the same city. But I believe God, I believe that God um, calls and qualifies and equips congregations with specific burdens to do things, to reach a particular people group, to accomplish something in that community. Those with a, a larger mantle of the Holy Spirit to be able to reach beyond an actual city, to touch a region and then ultimately to be able to touch the world. And so the DNA moment that we're talking about this morning today is spirit-filled. And I think that is important since we are dealing with the day of Pentecost. And we're going to unpack that and tell you a little bit about that in just a moment. The text is found in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it goes like this. Would you read it out loud with me, please? But you will receive, what's the word that's emboldened? Power. You will receive power. That's the Greek word dunamis. I tell you what, let's read all the way through, then I'll come back. Start again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, as we look back, there are a couple of things that I emphasize. This is my emphasis. It doesn't appear this way, this way in the text. But I've emphasized power, dunamis, the Greek word, which means divine ability. Okay? Not to be confused with other 
words, other times when we have the word power in the scripture, it means the executive authority of God. For example, for as many as believed on him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, John 1, 12, okay? That's exousia, that's executive authority. This is not authority, this is the actual ability to carry out that authority. This is dunamis. This is the English word dynamo, a machine that continuously produces power. The one that you're more familiar with is dynamite. Dynamite is a big bang. It's the release of a lot of power all at once. It's an explosive power. Power here is dunamis. It is the divine ability of God. That will come on you when the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will do something. There is a purpose for the power. Everybody say there's a purpose for the power. So the power, the divine ability of God comes on you for the purpose of being my witnesses. Now notice it didn't say, and you will go witness. Didn't say, you will do witnessing. There's certainly nothing wrong. It's a blessing, as a matter of fact, to knock on doors. It works in better cultures sometimes than others. I think it definitely worked better in the 50s and the 60s, maybe even into the 70s in the U.S. The South, probably a little bit longer because we're a little bit longer in terms of changing and transforming. Somebody said one time, if the end of the world comes, I want to live in Arkansas because everything happens there 20 years later. <laughs> I said, I take offense at that. I just want to tell you I'm an Arkansan. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but doing witnessing is very different than what this is saying. This is the idea of stepping into a witness booth or box or the place where you give a testimony it's where you attest to. It's what witnesses do in a courtroom. They give an attestation. They give a testimony. They testify to the fact of some evidence that's being proven in the courtroom. And so when we receive dunamis, we are given the divine ability to attest to the fact, to testify to the fact of Jesus' resurrection. He is alive, and the world can see he is alive because our lives have been transformed. We don't live the way the rest of the world lives. Let me tell you this morning, if you're Christian and you're doing that, then you need to check yourself, okay? doesn't mean we don't wear the same clothes they do or live in the same culture, do some of the same things. But ultimately, there is a, there's a distinction. There is... There should be a holiness that marks the lives of the people of God, okay? Does it mean that you don't wear makeup and don't cut your hair and wear strange clothes? It doesn't mean that. Holiness is an attitude of the heart. It means you've got some integrity that is gripping your heart to keep you from doing things of injustice, to keep you from doing things that are wrong, that are immoral or illegal. Come on, some. How many of you know sometimes those two don't agree? Sometimes it is moral, but it's illegal, all right? Or sometimes it's legal, but it's still immoral. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching so good. But you live by a code that is different from the world. You uh, have been motivated by the Spirit of God on the inside of you because you've received the dynamics of God because the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and it's for a purpose. It gives you the ability to be a witness to testify to the fact that Jesus is alive. His resurrection has taken place. He is now living inside your heart. If, you, if that's your life, somebody say amen. All right, let's go on. And it says, you will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, that's your place where you are right now. This is our Jerusalem, Marion, West Memphis, the county, maybe out Earl, Crawfordsville, Parkin, 
maybe just across the river, just this, this, this location here. This is our Jerusalem. And the scripture says that we'll move on out beyond that throughout Judea and then into Samaria. Samaria was considered to be enemies of the Jews. They were half-bred. They, were, they had intermarried the other nations. And that means you go and love people that you don't like. You go and love people that don't speak the same language you. You go and love people who, who don't look like you. You go and love people who do things you don't do. How many of you know if the church would just get that figured out? That we're supposed to love folk, whether we agree with them, their politics or their beliefs or their lifestyle. We're supposed to love people. Because guess what? That's what Jesus does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this morning we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows John 3.16. That's, that, that, that's how you got in. That's the door. That's the entrance. Jesus died so you could live. But not many folk know Luke 3.16. Luke says that there's another one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Luke 3.16 is every bit as much a part of the Bible as John 3.16 is. You don't just need to be in the family. You need to be equipped with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Come on, somebody. One thing, my one thing that I want to bring to you this morning, it is like a repeating chorus in a song. If you don't get anything else, you get this because I revisit it multiple times during the message. One thing, and I want you to really heartily read it like you mean it this morning. Here we go. Spirit-filled means we are open to the... I don't hear you. Come on. Come on, wake up. Every, nine nine o'clock did better than that. Let's go. Come on. Spirit-filled means we are open to the operation and gifts of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives and in our church. That's pretty good. That's, it took the second time to get them to that point. That's about 70%. Now, one more time. Give it to me. Everybody, here we go. Spirit-filled means we are open to the operation and gifts of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives and in our church. Victory is a Spirit-filled church. And that is important on this day of Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday. What is Pentecost? I'm going to ask the question. First of all, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not a denomination. It's not a movement. It's not a network. It's not a worldview. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. It's a person. He's the third part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. Now, Passover is an extended celebration. We're right now in Pentecost on the Jewish calendar. It began earlier this week. But today is called Pentecost Sunday because 50 days after Resurrection Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Okay? Seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. The next day is 50. Okay? So today is day 50 after the resurrection. After we celebrated Easter earlier this year, this is the celebration of Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the day the church was born. It is our universal birthday. That's when the church of, G of the Lord Jesus Christ celebrates its birthday worldwide. Okay? Some churches have birthday cake. Um, you know what? Forgot about it this year, should have done that. I guarantee you we're going to have birthday cake next year. Hang around after and get you a little piece of some lot of buttercream and big sheet cake. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I, I could use a cheat day right now on my diet. The Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? Pente means five in Hebrew or 50. 
five. Five in the Bible means grace. 50 is 10 times five, so it's grace multiplied 10 times over. 50 in Scripture is the number of jubilee. It's when deliverance came. It's when freedom is given. It's, it's when debts are paid. It's when enslaves, enslavement is released. There is no more bondage. There's complete, total deliverance and freedom. Come on. How many of you know when, when, when Jubilee came, the, if, you, if you owed some money, your debts were forgiven? How many of you need a Jubilee in your life? Come on, somebody. Every seven years was the year of release. Faithful Hebrews couldn't have slaves longer than seven years, and they weren't slaves the way we knew the African slave trade, where you totally destroy an individual's dignity. Slavery in, in the Bible literally were servants who sold themselves to pay their debts, okay? It was indentured servitude. Don't let anybody tell you that the Bible teaches and justifies what happened for 400 years in America until finally the Civil War was fought and the Emancipation Proclamation was declared by our 16th president. That slave trade was pure demonic, okay? This nation was built on the backs of slaves that never got paid, okay? And so this morning when we talk about slavery in the Bible, if, if you had a slave in your home, it was literally a servant who was indentured to you. He sold or she sold her time for the next seven years to pay debts that they couldn't pay. And in the seventh year, they were released, and certainly seven sevens, 49, the next year's the year of Jubilee, it's a massive release. Land returns to the original tribes and families. All debts are forgiven. Everybody's set free. And guess what? Jubilee is a person. His name is Jesus. You've got your Jubilee. You've got your Jubilee. You, I, I believe that God lets mountains come into our lives because he wants to show us that he is a mountain-moving God. God lets impossible circumstances show up in our lives because he wants to show us that he is the God of the possible when we believe. Put your hands together and give him praise this morning. Pente, Pente, the, the, the command station of the government, the command station of the armies, the military of America is out of a Pentagon in Virginia. It is a five-sided building, Okay. Penta 5, Penta 50, the Jubilee of God is what we're declaring on Pentecost. Particularly, we're talking about the feasts of the Lord. The feasts of the Lord. There were three big seasons throughout the year. Passover, Pentecost is the middle one, and then tabernacles or the feast of booths, the, the feast of harvest, the feast of ingathering. Three times a year, the scripture declares in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy that all are to appear before the Lord, not empty-handed, but they come before the Lord in celebration in a time of festival. It's an extended period. Passover was the recognition of God delivering the children of Israel out from the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt. Pharaoh is a picture, a prophetic symbol for Satan. Egypt is a picture of the world. We are those children of Israel that are in bondage to Satan and sin and the world. And the blood of the lamb is shed for us and applied to the doorposts of our heart. The death angel passes over every family, all right, that has the blood on the doorposts. And so they celebrate it every year until such time, 
literally thousands of years later, it's a yearly practice. They see the symbols, they smell the blood, they eat the lamb. All of these things are just being etched in the collective cultural memory of the Jewish, of the Hebrew people. And, 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 and until the day when it's finally completely fulfilled in history and a yearly lamb gives way to a once-for-all sacrifice when Jesus becomes the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He became our Passover lamb on the cross. Somebody say amen. All right, so Passover is celebrated in Egypt you are still in the world in bondage to Satan and sin when the blood gets applied to the doorpost of your heart and God sets you free. You come across the Red Sea. You experience water baptism and then you move into the wilderness into a schooling period. You go through the school of the wilderness where God teaches you things, where you, where you do without and you learn to release faith and God's provision comes, where you have challenges with enemies that arise and then God protects God guides and God guards and, and his provision is outstanding and overwhelming. It's providential. He gives them a cloud by day, the world's first air conditioning system and a pillar of fire by night, the world's first heater because, because of, of heat radiation, the desert would be 100 degrees by day. The wilderness would literally give way to freezing temperatures at night. And so they've got a pillar of cloud by day to air condition them and, and a pillar of fire by night to keep them warm. And everywhere the cloud went, they would pick up camp and follow the cloud. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit externally who led the children of Israel naturally across the wilderness, finally into the promised land. But guess what? We don't have a cloud and a pillar of fire out there anymore. That cloud and pillar of fire has moved on the inside of us. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you and you'll break camp and pick up and move and you'll sit down and establish camp where you see the cloud of God sitting and where you see the pillar of fire staying and remaining. Somebody say amen. The Feast of the Lord, Passover is celebrated in Egypt. Pentecost 50 days after they come out of the bondage of Pharaoh, they're out there in the wilderness and it's Sinai. All of a sudden, God throws a July 4th celebration. It's fireworks and the mountain is spewing flames and smoke. And they think it's something to be feared. Actually, God was throwing them a July 4th, an Independence Day party. Moses is on the mountain and God by his own finger etches the, the, the 10 words, the Decalogue, the words of God, the law of God into stone. The beautiful thing is, is that remains the law of God throughout the centuries in the millennium until such time, 50 days after the fulfillment of the Passover, when Jesus becomes the Lamb of God, 50 days later, God pours out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The first time, the first Pentecost is in the wilderness on the mountain of Sinai. God writes the law upon stone tablets. The Pentecost that fulfills that is when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the 120 in the upper room. And this time, the Holy Spirit comes into the lives of all those people and he writes the law of God on fleshly tables of our hearts. Are you hearing me? Okay. So the Holy Spirit now has no longer external. He is internal. He's moved from the outside to the inside. He's guiding us. He's our GPS system that is moving and leading us. There are seven feasts of God in three seasons. Passover has three. It's an extended, about a 10-day, 14-day period. Pentecost is just this weak extension here in the middle. It's the season or the harvest. It's the first ripe grapes, the first ripe fruits. It's the barley harvest. 
The seeds that have been planted earlier in the year are just now beginning to emerge from the ground and the first ripe grapes are emerging on the vines and it's a celebration because when they see the first fruits coming, they know that first fruits are going to be followed by all of the great blessing of harvest. Come on, somebody. You hear that? What God's given you so far is just a taste. It's just the earnest of your inheritance. It's just a down payment of what God is going to bless you with in his Holy Spirit. Come on, put your hands together. Oh my, it's so good. It's so good of what he's doing. And then finally, in tabernacles, they celebrated that in the promised land. They left their homes and built booths. They built tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkoth. It's little small brush arbors where they would come to Jerusalem and live in these for that 14-day period. They would celebrate three feasts, Feast of Trumpets and Feast Day of Atonement. The actual Feast of Tabernacles is made up of three on that end. So we've got three on this end, one in the middle and three on that end. Three and one is four and three is seven. So the seven feasts of the Lord give us a complete picture of Jesus in Passover. We meet Christ, the Holy Spirit, the anointing in Pentecost. And then we become very acquainted with the Lord. He is our king. He is our boss. He is the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings in tabernacles. So every one of those feasts gives us a little glimpse, all put together, show us Jesus Christ, the Lord. It's all a picture of Jesus. The whole book is about one person. It's about Jesus Christ. And so as we recognize that in this day, in this feast of Pentecost, as we look to that, I want to talk to you about this Holy Spirit. My Pentecostal background, we refer to it as the Holy Ghost. And I'm certainly not doing uh, any injustice today by just saying Holy Spirit. Because most of the time, folk these days, if they hear the word ghost, they think of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Or they think of something that's haunted. And so I think it was a good move. Because I think the word Holy Spirit, capital S, that's how you distinguish in your New Testament, in your Bibles, when you read them. If it's a little s, it means the human spirit. We're made in the image of God. We are a spirit. We have a soul, mind, will, and emotions. We live in a body. This is your earth suit. You have to have one of these to have expression in the earth. If you go to the moon, you have to have a moon suit. Probably in the next decade, there will be people, if you have enough money, you'll get on one of Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk's rocket, and you can go visit the space station, maybe walk on the moon. I think that'll happen probably in the next 10 to 20 years. I don't know that we'll see that happen on Mars in my lifetime, but I think that some amazing things are out there. And if you go to any of those places, you have to have the right kind of suit in order to be able to live in that atmosphere. This is your earth suit. You have to have this body in order to be able to express yourself in this planet. We are a spirit. Say, I'm a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. So when you, when you read the New Testament and it says spirit, and it's a little less, it's talking about your human spirit. Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. Okay? But capital S spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of burning. There's a number of different descriptions that the Holy Spirit is given throughout all of the Bible. Point number two this morning, the operation of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the work of Christ, it is a finished work. The Father created and he, he created for six days. He worked and then he rested on the seventh and sat down. Jesus came, accomplished the work the Father gave him. It is a finished work. He ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father who is seated in rest. 
But the Holy Spirit is still standing up, doing work. It is a finishing work. It is a present progressive tense of the verb. He is still finishing. He is still working on me. Come on, somebody. He's working on you. I am confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is working on me until I see Jesus face to face. I believe that he's coming back. And I believe that when I see him, that I'll be changed. And in that moment, I will be identical. I'll be just like him. And then the Holy Spirit's work is finished. He can sit down. Somebody say amen. We talk about Salvation. The Father appropriated that before the foundation of the world. The Son acquired it at the cross, but the Holy Spirit comes and applies it individually in your life, in your generation. Some point you hear the gospel and faith arises. It is a quickening work of the Holy Spirit. You can't save yourself. You, you don't have the ability. You're, you're dead and not alive. Dead men can't raise themselves. It takes the quickening spirit, the making alive spirit of God to raise you up and quicken you and make you be sit down with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that. The dunamis, the power, the divine ability of God is given to us when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. This morning, I'm not talking about a salvation experience. I'm talking about something that equips you, something that gets you ready to do what you have been called to do. Everybody's is not the same. God gives us nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, three that give us the ability to think things that we wouldn't otherwise think apart from natural circumstances. They give us God's thoughts. Three give us the ability to speak words we wouldn't otherwise speak ourselves in our own natural ability because they're the words of God. Then the last three give us the ability to act to do things that only God can do. Gifts of healings, workings of miracles, the gift of faith. Those are doing gifts. Thinking, speaking, doing. Look at this. Thought, word, and deed. Those are the areas where you struggle. And God's given you power gifts to help you conquer and to get victory in your thought, in your word, and in your deed. Come on, give him praise. I love it. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 12, the three thinking gifts where we know, the, we know something. It's the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of discerning of spirits. Three speaking gifts are tongues and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Three doing gifts I already listed. Workings of miracles, gifts, plural, of healings, plural, and the gift of faith. So all those things, I need to think the thoughts of God after him. I need to speak the words of God after him. I need to do the acts of God after him. Those are all in part. None of them are fullness. God is the only omni-anything. He's the only one who knows all things. He's the only one who is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's the only one who is omnipresent everywhere at all times in the fullness of his presence. I am limited. I am finite. He is infinite. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. As I understand that, I can tap into by the presence of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, the Holy Spirit is called our comforter. Jesus said, I must go away. It's beneficial for you if I leave and send another comforter. Oh, no, Jesus. A third of the Gospel of John literally is the last week of Jesus' ministry where he's in a private setting with his disciples talking to them about what's coming in just a few days, the Holy Spirit. He gives us the passage out of John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, I will give you the spirit of truth who will bring all things into your remembrance, those things which I've spoken unto you. He's, he's called our guide, Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they're the sons of God. 
He's called our helper, Romans 8, 26. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but there is one who intercedes with words that English can't even put into words, with groanings which cannot be uttered, cannot be understood. He's called the teacher. He is the spirit of truth that will lead us into all truth. The comforter is the parakletos, a paraclete. Remember when we studied the parables and we learned that the Greek word for parable is parabole? Para means alongside. A parachurch ministry works alongside the church, okay? A, a parabole is to hurl alongside, to tell a natural story with a spiritual meaning, remember? Okay, so the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the parakletos, the paraclete. Okay, so para is alongside, Kletos comes from the Greek word kaleo, which means to call. So the Holy Spirit is the parakletos. He is called to walk alongside James and Doris in their marriage, with their children, in their pursuits, in their ministry. So the Holy Spirit is called to walk alongside you, to comfort you. And by the way, he will comfort you when you're afflicted. But guess what? Flip the coin. He will afflict you when you're comfortable. We don't like that part. God lets us go through things to remember. He lets us experience lack so that we can give him thanksgiving and praise and blessing when we are walking in the, the abundance of God's provision. Somebody say amen. I am grateful that he lets me experience sadness so that I can revel in his gladness and his joy. We sang a song this morning that I couldn't sing for a few Sundays, probably months. I remember the very first time in the old building when Aaron sang that version of it as well. And I was on the front row and I had just lost Dawn. And I just hung my head. I said, Father, I can't sing this song because it's not well with my soul. But I kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I kept putting my trust in God. I kept waking up in the morning and throwing the covers off, putting my feet on the ground and standing up beside my bed and saying, Father, today I choose joy. I choose joy. And joy is a person. His name is Jesus. I choose Jesus. Through the darkest grief-filled days of my existence, I continued and I remained in a place of trusting God. And God brought me through that. And I can sing that song now and say, it is well with my soul. I'm not saying that I understand why it happened. I don't think I'll know that until I see him face to face. The scripture says, they that seek the Lord understand all things. And I'll just tell you, it hadn't happened for me yet. I'm still seeking him and I don't know why. But I know that God is able in his time to make all things beautiful, Ecclesiastes 3. I also believe Romans 8, 28, that he is able to work all things together for my good because I love him and I am the called according to his purpose. This morning, if you're struggling, don't quit. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. Whatever it is for you, I'm not trying to tell you that you're your answer, your antidote is to throw the covers off and put your feet on the ground and say, I choose joy every day. That was for me. And there's some folks that definitely need to choose some joy. But I'm telling you, if you keep doing that and you keep putting your trust in God, God will bring deliverance and God will let you begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel and my faith begin to arise. And his presence so was with me in midnight hours. 
the darkest, the loneliest times, when I would reach over in the bed and she's not there. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit because I I came to know him. I, I know my father in a way that I didn't know him before. I know him in a way because he comforted me in the depths of a dark, dark place. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. I was back in the backside of the cave. There was no light. And there he showed up and the Lord was my light and he was my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm so thankful this morning. Anybody in the room, are you hearing what I'm saying today? Put your hands together. He's our guide. He's our helper. He's our teacher. He's our comforter. He comes alongside us. I remember when we first moved back here in 1988, in December, God miraculously had sold our house for us in North Carolina in a market that was glutted. The general on the base had told all the Marines in some words I can't say from the pulpit that you, you guys have been too comfortable and I'm going to stir up your nest and, you're gonna, and they all put their houses on the market because he was shipping them all out. And when we heard the word to come back here to build a congregation that was presence-centered, that was gospel-driven, that was kingdom-focused, that was grace-based relationships, which is what victory is, That's all part of our culture. When we came back here to build that vision, it was in the time when the houses were just stacked up on the market and people were taking a loss. We actually made money over what we were asking. That's a whole story. It would take me 30 minutes to tell you, and I'm not going to keep you to tell you that. But when we got here, we had our little boy, Drew, who was 11 months old at the time, and we were living again in the front bedroom, me and Dawn and the baby crib, Drew in the front bedroom of the house that I grew up at 300 South Center in West Memphis, Arkansas, coming back to build Victory Church. And I remember it was very gracious. We never did have a fight, but there was some tension because you get a couple of families under the same roof and there's going to be some tension. I was in the bed and my wife is in the bed and she said, Michael, find us a place to live. How many of you know when your wife says it like that, you better listen? I said, okay, baby. She said, I love your mom and dad. I love Dewey. I'm glad they were here. This is great. But this house is not big enough for all of us. I remember getting up one night. Drew's squalling about 3.30 in the morning. And Dewey had the middle bedroom, my younger brother. And we would go to the microwave and and gently warm the, the milk in the bottle, the formula, whatever, and then shake it all the way through so there wouldn't be any hot spots and then check it, you know. And Drew's in there just screaming and just screaming. And I hear Dewey say in his bed, would you just give him the bottle? Good grief. So, you know, there was some tension, a little tension in the house. (laughs) Because he's trying to sleep. He's got a job in Memphis. He's graduated college. Mom and dad are older. They're retired. They're helping us with the kids. And Dawn said, Michael, find us a house to live in or go rent an apartment or something. We can't do this. We got to to get our own place. Got to have our own space. And I, I understand that. So I said, let's, let's, let's don't rent. Let's just find a house and buy, and let's just don't move things two or three times, okay? I said, the wisdom of God came to me in that moment, and I said, tell me what you want. Tell, and I just had that flash in the, in the notebook when Ryan Gosling is, to, what do you want? <laughs> You've all seen those memes. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> it wasn't like that. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you guys knew what I edited up here, I just, in the, in the thing, I see a lot of stuff. And, and in the middle of that, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit showing me some things. 
I said, what do you want? She said, Michael, I want, this is what I want. I said, no, I want you to think about it. And, and, and she was quiet literally for probably 30 minutes. And she said, I'll tell you what I want. I want a, a two-story white house on a corner lot with a fenced-in backyard. She said it real quickly like that. I said, well, okay. <laughs> two-story white house on a corner lot with a fenced-in backyard. Every Sunday after church, we're in rented facilities. This is before we got to the mall. We were down there at 620 West Broadway renting from my fourth cousin twice removed, Phil Ford, one of his bays, and we expanded into the second, we expanded into the third, before the mall called us and said, we heard your church is growing, do you want a, want a space? And so she says, I want a little white house, two stories, on a corner lot with a fenced-in backyard. Okay, great, we prayed. Father, thank you, this is our desire. You said if we would delight in you, you'd give us the desires of our hearts. We ask you, show us where this is. Well, about two weeks later, I literally, in the middle of the night, sat up in the bed in my sleep and blurted out, Carlisle. Carlisle. And Dawn grabbed my arm and said, what's that about? Because I had dated a girl in college whose name was Carlisle. <laughs> I said, no, 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 it's not that kind of dream. I don't know what it means. And so I, I go to work that day. I'm working for Health First Medical Group in Memphis, and uh, which has since then gone out of business, but I was, I was working with them, and I'm, I'm, I'm going across the old bridge, and I'm behind a great big huge truck, Carlisle Trucking Company, okay? Are they, are they, are they movers? No, I mean, maybe they're going to move us into our new house. I don't know, so I'm just praying. I make a trip to Little Rock in a week or two, and I'm coming back, and I see Carlisle, Arkansas. I said, oh, Jesus, please, I don't want to live there. I want to be right where I am. No offense if you're watching in Carlisle. We love you. And my, my Aunt Lucille, she and her husband, Dewey, which my younger brother was named for, were in business for years. They never had any children, so they were well off. She got a new Cadillac every two years. And so we were riding around the backseat of her Cadillac looking at houses for sale in town. And we're over around Stratford, and we're down, you know, the other side of Rich Road, and we're looking, and we're just riding everywhere. And, and we've had some real estate agents, and they've taken us in and showed us, and this is a little bit out of our range. We can't afford that. That's, you know, you know when it's beyond faith that it's just presumption. No, 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 no that's not going to happen. We're trying to build a church. We don't have that kind of money yet, okay? And so we're, we're coming down Balfour, never really paying attention. Dawn and I are in the back seat. Drew's standing up between us. My mom's in the passenger side. Aunt Lucille's driving her Cadillac. And she turns on a little road there that I don't really pay much attention to. And she slows down because there's a for sale sign in the yard it's a corner lot. And Dawn said, oh, look at that house. It's a little white two-story house. Got a fenced-in backyard. It's a corner lot. And she said, why don't we see if, if maybe the owner's home, maybe we can actually go in and see it. And sure enough, we knocked on the door. Tara was a young nurse who had gotten a new job in Florida, and she was selling her house. Let me back up because I got ahead of myself. We're we hadn't gone in and knocked on the door yet. We hadn't gotten out of the car. And I happened to turn around and look out the back window of Aunt Lucille's Cadillac. And we're right there at the, the intersection of Balfour and Carlisle. White two-story house, corner lot, fenced-in backyard. Y'all remember that? Now, within a couple of months, we owned that house, or we bought it, rather. We didn't own it at the time, but we took a mortgage. And we were living in that little house. Now... You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I don't, I don't care if you don't believe that because I know that God spoke the word Carlisle to me to the point that my wife asked me what I was dreaming about. 
because I'd taken a girl named Linda Carlisle out on a date in college. I said, no, 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 I don't know what it is. But after a few weeks, the word that the Lord spoke to my heart that I dreamed and I sat up in the bed and said out loud became evident to what was supposed to be ours. It was the exact answer to the description of all of her. It checked all the boxes on her want list. Now, y'all hearing me? That was the Holy Spirit. It was a word of knowledge. It came in a dream. God will do that for you. He doesn't just do that for preachers who have visions to build churches. He will do that for you when your kids are in trouble. He will do that for you when your business needs the wisdom of God. He will do that for you when your marriage needs help. You can live as a pauper all the while you have the riches of heaven provided for you until you ask God. You must ask God. You've got to call upon him. You have to make a demand upon his ability by the faith that he has given you. I have, I have scores. I'll, I'll go on to say, not an exaggeration, I have hundreds of stories that I could tell you literally how God has moved in, and it would, it would involve naming names, but of people's lives, how God has carried them and comforted them in grief and loss and tragedy and stood with them and provided for them and healed them. Over and over and over and over how a word of the Lord came and then I would see what it meant and it would come to pass. You can't tell me God doesn't talk. God might not be talking to you. I actually want to tell you he is talking. But you don't have, you don't have your, your receiver tuned in and turned on and hooked up to the radio waves of heaven. Hear me as I finish this. I'm, I'm, I'm already a little bit over. It's quarter to 12. So hang on. I'm going to let you go. You can beat the Baptist to the buffet. Just hang on. There are millions, there are, un, there are innumerable waves that are coming through this room right now, AM and FM radio waves, and you're not picking them up because you don't have a receiver that is plugged in, turned on, and tuned in. We have three Wi-Fi systems right here in this building. One is for the sound, one is for the staff, one is for you. It's an open system that you can get on. The others, you have to know the password, okay? Um, there's microwaves. There are there are. Um, different kinds of radio waves. There are cell tower waves. There are innumerable, infinite amounts of knowledge, bits of information are moving across all those waves. There's music in this room you can't hear because you're not, you're not plugged in, turned on, and tuned in. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, guess what? Your dead equipment gets activated. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you get specifically tuned in to the right station, to the right Wi-Fi network, to the, to the right point your browser to the right place on the world wide web. And all of a sudden, you're picking up the Wi-Fi of heaven and you can begin to hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding out of the mouth of God. It's a present progressive word. God's talking right now. If you're not hearing him, it just means you're not turned on and tuned in. Look at your neighbor and say, turn on and tune in. Come on, get hooked up. Get connected to the Wi-Fi of heaven so you can receive heaven signals. And it comes by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't just for an ancient culture of ignorant people. My goodness, if we were ever a jacked up, messed up culture of ignorant people, we are right now. We need the Holy Ghost. We need a revival of the outpouring of His presence in His Holy Spirit. God knows.
as we need it in the White House, worse than we've ever needed it before. We need it in Congress and in the halls of the Supreme Court. But not just in those places of great influence. You need it in your kitchen. You need it in your job. You need it in your bedroom. You need it in your relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your children. You need it in your neighborhood. You need it in our schools. God help us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be turned on and tuned in. Come on. Spirit-filled means that I'm open to the gifts and the operation of the Holy Spirit in my personal life and in my church. I'll never forget when we were looking for land that I drove by here and God spoke to me. It's almost as if I heard it out loud, but it wasn't out loud. It was down here in my spirit. I heard it in my gut. It said, behold, I've set before you an open door and no man can shut it. I was walking around 30 acres of property. We're we're having church in a mall. We're not millionaires. We've got a bunch of business people that are great, big, generous givers. We're blessed, so blessed, so very blessed. But we don't have any gazillionaires. We don't have any Elon Musks or any Jeff Bezos in this church. But because people have been faithful, God's blessed us. And I was walking around this before we ever went to the bank, and I knew that God said, this is our property. This is our 30 acres. This is a piece of the earth that we're going to own. Then we got a mortgage at the bank, and then I started walking around in bare feet because Joshua says every place where the sole of my feet would tread that I would possess it, it would be mine. I started thanking God for paying off $333,000 for 30 acres of property. And you know what I do when I walk around it now? God, I thank you for $5 million to pay off this property and give us the money we need to do phase two. And Lord, put a million dollars in the bank so we can do what we need to do in the delta to advance the kingdom of God. Pastor, you're crazy. You're you're outside your mind. No, I'm outside of your mind. Because remember, I was outside of your mind when I heard the, the voice say, Behold, I've set before you an open door and no man can shut it. When I was believing for 30 acres, people thought I was crazy. I remember people telling me, why do you want to go out there? Nothing is out there. None of these neighborhoods were out here at the time when I said, let's buy this property. And we bought it for $333,000. And when we built the building, the land alone appraised for a million dollars. How many of you know God sees the end from the beginning? He sees five years down the road. He sees 10 years down the road in your life. He sees blessing he's going to bring you hadn't even figured out yet. He sees increase in your life that you haven't even imagined yet. Come on, somebody. You need the Holy Ghost. It's not a denomination. Quit being afraid of what you've seen. Somebody that got a little too excited. We are little P Pentecostal. I wouldn't hurt some of you to get a little bit loose, but I don't care anything about flesh. I don't want, I, I will never prime the pump and pump you up and manipulate you. If, if, we, if we enter into a place of worship and the glory of God falls in this place, it'll be because God did it, not because somebody who's real cares, and you pump the organ and, ah, yeah, and you get the crowd all worked up. I did that. I did that as a teenager. I was the organ man. I was the pump man under the tent. I've seen what it'll do. I know how to manipulate people through fleshly things, but I'm looking for the Spirit of God to do it. Are you hearing me this morning? Don't be afraid of the word Pentecostal. We're a Baptist church, little b, not a denomination, because we preach that you are saved by grace through faith. We're Methodist church because we believe in holiness and we believe in God leading us in how to do things with discipline and methodically. 
We're, we're a Presbyterian church because we believe that God reigns, that he is sovereign, that he is majestic, that he sits upon the councils and leads. He, he raises up kings and sits down kings and raises up nations and humbles nations. We're Pentecostal because we believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and working right now in our lives. Are you hearing me this morning? Now listen, I'm going to throw one at you. This is a curveball for some of you. We're, we're a Catholic church, but not capital C, little c. That, that little c just means universal. Not the Roman Catholic church, okay? Are you following me? So yes, we're little c Catholic, and we're little p Presbyterian, we're little m Methodist, and we're little b Baptist, and we're, we're little p Pentecostal. None of those, when they put the capital letter on there, that becomes a denomination. We are not in a denomination. We just believe the Word teaches us all of those things that I just said. And a whole lot more. Ooh, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to get me some sushi this afternoon, and I am going to enjoy. I'm going to have a cheat meal. Glory to God. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat calories to the glory. Today's my cheat day, and I'm going, to, I'm going to have a good time in the name of Jesus. Because I have preached this twice today. I have delivered the burden of the Lord. And what I am telling you is you need the Holy Ghost in your life. You need the Holy Spirit in your business, in your home, in your family, in your children. And guess what? My third point and I'm finished. Just one scripture and I'm done. Guess what? He is available to you. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. You fathers... If your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Well, of course not. That's a rhetorical question. Don't even give it an answer. It's obvious. Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, if you sinful people, King James says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts. The NLT says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, Oh, man, I wish I had another hour because I'm going to tell you those three words right there are so powerful. Say them with me. How much more? If you and all of your love for your babies know how to just, just flourish them with good things that they desire and, 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 and just pour out the love that you have in your heart for them, it is indescribable to compare your love as a human to how much the Heavenly Father loves you and wants to pour out His abundance upon your life. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. How much more? Everybody say, how much more? Everybody, come on. I can't keep that thing on. How, there it is, how much more? Read it with me. Will your Heavenly Father give the what? Holy Spirit to those who, that's all it is. Father, fill me. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me. Passover, blood was shed. It's fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. Pentecost, the law was written. It's fulfilled on Pentecost Day, and it's fulfilled in your life when the Holy Spirit comes in and writes the law of God on your heart. Okay? Now, it's, it's, all, it's all boiled down. 613 commandments are boiled down to two. Love God and love people. Where has the church missed that? Where has the church missed that? We see somebody who is struggling in some kind of sinful pattern and we dismiss them. Or we, we holier than thou no, up, up our nose at them. Or we, or we rebuke them. Or we won't have anything to do with them. Or we won't talk to them. Where has the church missed this? 
Jesus said, love people. He didn't say, if they agree with your politics. He said, love people. He said, not if they look like you and talk like you and have the same culture you do and speak the same language you do. He said, love people. Love is the fulfillment of the law. When I have the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost, guess what? I keep all that written law because I'm not going to put an idol before God. I'm not going to take his name in vain. I'm going to remember the Sabbath and worship him. The last six are to do with people. If I love my neighbor, I won't steal his boat or commit adultery with his wife or lie on him in court or murder him. Are you following me this morning? All those six laws and how I deal with people. The first four deal with God. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God and love people, all of those other specifically outlined laws will be swallowed up in this greater idea called the love of God. Are you following me this morning? The only way you can do that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I am finished this morning and I want us to find a momentary place of prayer because I'm going to do this differently than we typically do each Sunday. If you've never crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus into your heart, this Holy Spirit we're talking about is the one who's going to do all that anyway. If you know Jesus as your Savior and maybe you've had an experience of equipping This is not a salvation experience I'm talking about. This is an equipping, preparing you, enabling you, dunamis, the divine ability of God. Power will come on you after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If that's where you are today, we're just going to simply do what Jesus said in Luke 11, ask, okay? So heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I tell you what, no, look back up here for one second. One second, everybody look back up here. If you're comfortable with this, and I'm not not legislating what you should do, if you're comfortable, and that's the big stipulation right there, if you're comfortable with this, I'd like right where you are just to lift your hands like this, just at your waist, in a in a posture of receiving. Okay, so if, if you're okay with that, do that with me. If you're not, that's fine. But now let's bow our heads and our hearts, nobody looking around, and I want to pray this prayer together. And I would like for you to say the words after me. Okay. Here we go. Father, my heart is stirred. I hear this message. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I ask you today, fill my heart, my mind, my soul, my body with your presence. Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, teach me, provide for me, help me. Comfort me. Jesus, be my guide. Change my life. Change my heart. Help me to hear your voice and to be obedient, to follow through with what I hear you say. I ask you for the Holy Spirit. Fill me today, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that word. Look for it. Look for it. Sometimes I pray prayers, and it's months before I see the fulfillment happen. 
Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's minutes, sometimes it's hours, but look for it. Start to look, listen. You can't say God's not speaking with your Bible closed. Open your B-I-B-L-E. Come on, somebody. All right, I love you. Be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for the-